Let's give Jesus a clap. Come on. <laughs> so Abby doesn't tell me there's an oil stain on my pants because I would have gone like that. <laughs> Good morning. Happy Mother's Day. What a day. What a day. What a day. Um, We are launching small groups on the 15th. If you have never been in a small group, I want to invite you to stop by the table in our little foyer and get signed up for that. We're still in need of small group leaders. We're still in need of host homes. We are only going six weeks. Say six with me. You can do six weeks. Like, you know, people make, I'm convinced people make their New Year's resolutions go at least six weeks. Like, you can do it. Because the good news is if it's a bad group, guess what? It's just six weeks. If it's a great group and you want to keep going, well, y'all talk about it, figure it out, and keep going. Sound good? Okay. Um, Let's see here. I am in John 6. We're going to try to end um, John 6 today. We're moving through John. And we're going to start in verse 42. Uh, what we read to that point last week. Thank you so much. I was going to ask you for that. Um, And we're going to go all the way to verse 71. Um, I'm trying to get my arms around something really um, significant and and big today. Um, So you're going to have to probably bear with me. But I think there's something really, really powerful um, here that if we as believers can get our heads and even our hearts around, I think it could absolutely change the way we see God, the way we see ourselves, and then the way we walk out our faith. Okay? So uh, I'm going to cross-reference Numbers 14. That's like way back in the Old Testament. Um, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers um, 14. We're just going to do two verses, 36 through 38, if you want to put your finger there. And then we're also going to cross-reference Hebrews 3. That's New Testament, probably written by Paul to the right in your Bible, or if you're on your phone, scroll over, um, verses 7 through 9. So I'm going to read all three of them. But here's what I want to open up. And um, I want to take a look at how all of the religious leaders that Jesus is speaking to in this passage that we're about to read in John 6, how did they miss the Messiah? You follow me? So in other words, this group of people has spent all of their waking and living time um, studying the Old Testament, studying the Bible, searching the scriptures, and then they're literally waiting day in and day out for who? The Messiah. And the Messiah shows up, and yet they miss him. And I want to make some connections between how did they miss him. I want us to actually make some applications. We'll see it in here, and then we'll apply it to our own lives. But then we're going to flip back, and we're going to take a look at Exodus. Uh, It's really in numbers, but it's the Exodus. Um, So Moses is leading two and a half million people, and they're on this uh, multi-year camping trip in the desert. Sounds delightful. Um, You can, you know. Anyway, a multi-year camping trip in the desert, and they're called to go into the promised land, and they get there, and what happens? They miss it. 
Okay, so we have an Old Testament reference, we've got a New Testament reference, and then we're going to make reference sort of to our own lives, what's going on inside of us, and how can we even learn from the way the Jewish nation, the Jewish leaders, the Jewish leaders miss Jesus so that we don't miss him. Oof, it's a little heavy. All right, it's a heavy topic. Um, so if you're new here, or maybe you're, if you're not a believer, if you've never given your life to Jesus, if you're a skeptic or a doubter, you're like, man, I don't know about all this. This is actually a great topic for you because here's a whole group of people that missed it. Now, flip the analogy. If you've been walking with Jesus a really long time, this is also great for you because we're looking at people who missed it. All right, Lord Jesus, would you speak to us? today. Okay, I'm going to start in verse 41. I'm going to read through it with some comments, so we're not going to stand this morning. Here we go. At this time, uh, the Jews there on John 6, verse 41, began to grumble about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I came down from heaven? They're going, this guy's a carpenter. Stop grumbling among yourselves, Jesus answered. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them. I will raise them up at the last day. It is written in the prophets. Interesting, he's quoting the Old Testament there. They will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard the Father and learned from him comes to me. No one has seen the Father. This happened this week, by the way. My glasses. Sorry, I was like, I'm having trouble. I've never worn these before, and this happened. Yeah. I've spent my life being very proud of my vision and my hair. Verse 46, no one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. Only he has seen the Father. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes has eternal life. And we talked about last week, what is our work as Christians? It's to believe. What is our work as Christians? It's to surrender our lives. Verse 48, I, Jesus, am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which people may eat and not die. Talking about living eternally. Um, after death, but also about living um, full of heaven now. So there's kind of a dichotomy that he's referencing there. Verse 51, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Um, whoever eats of this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus said to them, very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you will have no life in you. That's heavy. And let me remind you at this moment, Jesus has gone from um, preaching, teaching, and leading a group of 15,000 plus people, um, and we're about to watch um, all of those people leave except 11 disciples. And it's really 12, but... Um, We'll, we'll see that too. Judas is in the mix, so it's, it's 11. Uh, but, but the question becomes, and this is what we're going to wrestle with for this, this entire message this morning, is what was going on in the hearts of the 15,000 that made them leave, and what was going on in the hearts of the 11 that made them stay? Similarly, what was going on in the hearts in the Old Testament of the two million or so that said didn't choose to believe God and enter the promised land versus the two, Caleb and Joshua, that did? 
So hang with me. We'll unfold this. Okay, here we go. Verse 53, Jesus said to them, very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh, oh, I'm way past there. Verse 56, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. He said this while teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. Verse 60, on hearing this, many of the disciples said, this is a hard teaching, who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? Then what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before, meaning heaven? Verse 63, the Spirit gives life, the flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of the Spirit and life. Yet there are some of you who do not believe, for Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. He went on to say, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled them. Verse 66, here it is. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. So 15,000 people abandoned him right there in that verse. Verse 67, and if you look at the um, Greek on verse 67, Jesus says, you do not want to leave me too, do you? And there's like sadness, there's um, hurt, there's um, grief, there's sorrow, there's pain, there's probably even disappointment. And you love Simon Peter here because this is what Simon Peter says, Lord, to whom shall we go? It doesn't say I love you, I believe in you. No, no, it's just like, where else can we go? Only Peter. You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. Then Jesus replied, Have I not chosen you, the twelve, yet one of you is a devil? He meant Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Okay, cross-reference. I realize this is a lot of scripture this morning, and I'm going to try to tie it together. We're cross-referencing Numbers 14, verses 36 and 38. So the men Moses had sent to explore the land who returned made the whole community grumble against him by spreading a bad report. These men who were responsible for spreading the bad report about the land were struck down and died of a plague before the Lord. Of the men who went to explore the land, only Joshua son of Nun and Caleb son of Jephunneh survived. And I'm going to cross-reference one more, Hebrews 3, verses 7 through 9. So as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. During the time of testing in the wilderness where your ancestors tested and tried me, though for 40 years they saw what I did. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would enliven us by your spirit this morning. I pray you'd allow us to see with your eyes into not only the lives of the people in scripture, but into our own lives. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Okay, so here's what I want us to wrestle with as we look at these few passages, is what was actually going on inside of the Jewish leaders? They've spent their entire lives dedicated to this God, Yahweh God. They've spent their entire lives studying the, all of the Old Testament scriptures, and yet the word himself shows up in their midst, and they can't receive him. They reject him. And so, uh, again, the, the question that I think we have to wrestle with is, why do we miss Jesus in our own lives? All right? And as I work through this, I can see uh, four things that immediately begin to jump out to me about why did these Jewish leaders miss Jesus? Why did the people in the Old Testament miss entering into the promised land? And then why do we, according to Hebrews, actually harden our hearts and not listen to God? 
Okay, I know we're trying to get our hands around this big old thing today, so hang with me. So in, in order to even go there, here's what I want to do. I want to unpack um, just a minute of my own story. I want you to tell, I want to tell you about a time where um, I hardened my heart and missed it. Can I do that? Okay, when I was um, 19, I was a student leader over at UNCW with a Christian group, great Christian group. And um, there were some leaders that came through that Christian group that began to lead in an unusual direction. And I went with them. And over time, um, I uh, began to get further and further isolated um, from the Lord, uh, from my family, and from my friends. And without unfolding the entire story, um, after being involved with this group for about a year, my dad actually um, called me into his church office when I was about 19, and he said, Michael, you have become deceived. And guess what I said? I bowed up, and I flipped it back on him, and I said, you are the one who is deceived. And I'll never forget, you know, as a 19-year-old, and if you're here and you're 19 or around that age, um, you may not be, have, be today like I was then. But at that point in my life, um, I did not know what I didn't know. And not only did I not know what I didn't know, I thought I knew everything. I remember sitting in his office, and he's like teared up. This isn't like a, um, this isn't like an angry rebuke. This is like this gentle, um, loving, fatherly rebuke. But he's like, "You're making some decisions, and you're going down this direction, and you've become deceived." And I went, "Dad, there is no way. I am right." And he <laughs> he looked back at me, and he said, "Michael, listen to me. Church history is replete." These are his exact words echoed in my, etched in my brain. Church history is replete with people who do incredibly stupid things thinking that they are doing the right thing. People who are deceived. And I went, there is no way. And we got into this huge argument. I was angry. I was disrespectful. I was all manner of things as a 19-year-old. And hear me here just a second. When I walked out of his office, it would be almost seven years before I saw him again. Like this is no, and as, I, as we go along in this journey, I'll share more of my story with you. But I have this um, hole in my life. And I have wrestled again and again and again. Lord, what were all the things going on inside of me that would cause me to so harden my heart against you, um, against my dad, um, against my mom, and then against a, a whole community of friends that were around me? How did I get so lost? Have you ever been there? Have you ever gotten to, to this spot where you're like, how did I get so far down this road? Because it feels like I can't get back. You know, it's interesting because it was Mother's Day weekend 2008 that the Lord brought me out of that very dark place. And I finally picked up the phone and I called my parents. I hadn't seen or interacted with them in almost seven years. Picked up the phone and I called them. And uh, dad picked up the phone and I was so full, like the, the revelation of what had happened, what I had done, what I participated in was so big in my own mind. I was so full of shame that I couldn't even call him dad. So I just said, um, it's Michael. 
And he said, Michael who? Seven years. I'm a 27-year-old kid. Seven years was like 26% of my life. Did you hear that? So what I, and the reason I even share that is because when I get up here on this Stage. I think that my primary job is to open the scriptures um, and then to even open my own failure um, and then invite you to wade through it and to find Jesus in and through your own life. Okay? So the redemption that he's worked in our lives is extraordinary. We actually live across from each other in the same neighborhood. Isn't that funny? It's beautiful, the redemption that God has done. And has he healed? Yes. Are there scars? Yeah. Yeah. Has he worked redemption? Absolutely. So now, as we look at these religious leaders, here's really the question. Is, is uh, I don't want us as a church to deceive ourselves into thinking that we can't miss Jesus' will and way for our lives. Make sense? So um, let's, let's kind of take a, take a look at this a little bit deeper. I don't want you to underestimate the cost um, of rejecting Jesus. And let's, let's split even that decision, rejecting Jesus, because you have a bunch of religious people we just read about who rejected Jesus. You have a group of Israelites in the Old Testament that rejected Yahweh. We could say that's likened to rejecting Jesus. Um, and then I just told you my story about rejecting Jesus. So let's split that rejection of Jesus um, into sort of a macro rejection and a micro rejection. Can we do that? So macro, 30,000 square or 30,000 foot view, micro is down into the weeds of our lives. So rejecting Jesus at a macro level is refusing to surrender your life to him. So have you given your life to Jesus? Yes? No. That, if no, that, then you're rejecting God at a, at a, a macro level, and that's the place to start. You, you, you want to surrender your life to him, go, Lord Jesus, would you forgive me? You're going to give him your brokenness, and you get the life of Christ Jesus living in you and through you. Make sense? Okay, so macro rejection. Now, micro rejection. So if you're in Jesus, if you know him, if you've been walking with him for a long time, the, the, the micro rejecting of Jesus is the rejection of his will and way for your daily life. Make sense? So for those of us in Jesus, I think that's the bigger wrestle. Um, in, in fact, last week we, we sort of looked at our job as, as Christians is not to perform. Our job rather is to believe um, and, and to surrender. So, so the question then becomes for us, how do we um, avoid rejecting or how can we even learn from these religious leaders, 15,000 people who left Jesus versus 11 who stayed, um, how can we learn from them to make sure that we don't miss his purpose and presence in our lives. All right? Are y'all with me? Okay. Okay. All right. Uh, Matthew uh, 7, 13 and 14, Jesus is talking and he says, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. Many enter through it, but small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Oof. Okay. So let's look at the first thing that I think the Jewish leaders in this passage we just read did. I think they judged Jesus by human standards and external values. In other words, uh, Jesus didn't look like um, what they wanted him to look like. Therefore, they just rejected him. 
So I think we have to be very careful as Christians that we don't reject the message of God or the purpose of God or the calling of God because we don't like the package. You hear me? Sometimes the Lord is going to reach out and speak to us, just like he did in this case. He, Jesus came as a 30-year-old. He's, at this point, he is a homeless Jewish carpenter or general contractor. That is who he is. And these religious leaders are so pious, and they're so arrogant, and they think they got their mess together. And they're like, he just said he's the bread of life. He said he's the bread of heaven. He said he's God incarnate. And yet we know that he's the son of Joseph, and he's from Nazareth. And what'd they do? Reject him. Absolutely rejected him. Why would I, I had had an old friend and he would say, why would I give my life to a homeless Jewish carpenter? It's a good question. Because if that's all he is, you shouldn't. You should run the other way. If he is God incarnate, then you come and you surrender it all and go, Lord Jesus, take my life. I think you would also say that you got what you have going on here is the kingdom of God um, looking at, at life and death and earth through, through the lens of the kingdom of God versus looking at it through the lens of the human mind. And you have these arrogant um, religious leaders who are so convinced that Jesus is going to look a certain way that when he shows up, they go, no way, no way. I think I'd also say that the Jesus pathway almost never looks most desirable. You hear me? The Jesus pathway is almost never the one that looks most desirable in the moment. In the end, it's the one that will lead to life. So I think one of the things that we have to do is make sure we're not judging Jesus by mere human standards. Okay, so the first thing is they judge Jesus by human standards. Isn't he the son of Joseph? Verse 41 and 42. The second thing they did, and this is so simple, I mean, I, I, it's so simple. I was almost like, Lord, how do I even get up here and preach this? But uh, the second thing they did is I can't find where they consulted God. I can't find. They, they, they simply looked at things through a natural mind. They argued with one another. They fussed with one another. You can see it all through the text we just read. But I can't find where they actually consulted God. And if, if I could give you or us as Christians like a rule of thumb, it would be always to ask first and pray first. In other words, what you're doing by asking first and even praying first is you're giving opportunity for the Lord Jesus to direct um, and even navigate the steps of your lives. Some of you have asked me at points, Michael, you talk about a five-year journal. What in the world do you put in there? Great question. One of the things I put in there is my own ask first, pray first. In other words, I'm not going to make any decision without putting down on paper, Lord Jesus, this is what we're doing. This is where we're heading. This is what I think. Uh, Would you show us? Would you speak? Would you stop? Would you correct? Would you energize? Whatever. Does that make sense? So in other words, by doing that, what I'm beginning to open up is, Lord Jesus, would you have your will and your way in this situation? Now, does he always speak? I ask him all sorts of questions. Do I always get a definitive answer on that exact thing? No, but what I'm doing is demonstrating a heart posture where I go, Lord Jesus, I am inquiring of you. In fact, if you're in the one-year Bible with us, um, it is like the Old Testament is just again and again and again where the Jewish people fail um, to inquire of God. They fail to ask. They fail to ask his opinion. So get practical a second. If you're going to shift or change jobs, what am I suggesting you do? Pray first. Ask. 
Lord, this is the direction I'm heading. I think this is you. Would you show me? I'm taking a step. If, if you've got something going on with your kids, if you've got something going on with a spouse, if you're talking about moving house, I mean, anything, I am saying there is, if, if it is on your heart and if it is in your mind and if you're facing a decision, nothing is so small that God doesn't care intimately about what's happening in that situation. Pray first, ask first, and expect that he will speak to you on it. So you got a group of people that judge Jesus by external human, very human standards. They can't see him because he doesn't take the form that they wanted. You've got a group of religious people who uh, never consult God. They never ask him. And so they miss the very presence and person of Jesus. I can't imagine, um, like, I just can you imagine being a religious leader at this day and at this time and the very presence of God in human form comes and rolls through your synagogue or through your church and you... Like, go there a second. Like, think about that. And then the question becomes, how many times do we as Christians, God is opening up an opportunity, a direction, a pathway, a something for us, and we get to that point, and it doesn't look like what we want or what we think it should look like or it doesn't feel quite what we want, and what do we say? No. Come on. I've done this so many times in my life. I'm at this point where I'm like, Lord Jesus, would you help me not miss your way? Okay, so number one, they judged him by human standards. Number two, they never consulted. They never inquired of God. And then the third thing that I see here is the Jews are listening. In other words, they, they are listening to what he's saying, but I don't see them actually like hearing, like grasping what Jesus is saying. You know what I'm saying? So, I mean, I was kind of going, okay, how can you listen but not hear? Because that's the wrestle that I see here. And I began to go, okay, I have listened with a critical ear. Have you ever listened that way? Like you're just waiting for the person to say something wrong, and what are you going to do? You're going to pounce on them. Come on, you've listened with a critical ear. I've listened with like a resenting ear. Like I'm just like, I'm already frustrated with this person, and I'm just waiting for them to step in a hole so I can... You know, get them. I, I've listened with an ear of um, superiority where I've already sort of judged them and I'm looking down on somebody. Um, and, and so I'm not really truly listening there. I've also listened with indifference. In other words, I don't really care what they're saying because I'm preoccupied and focused elsewhere. Come on, some of y'all know this. Some of you need to elbow your spouse next to you and go, uh-huh. <clears throat> But then I think even on a less level, many of us oftentimes we listen because we're waiting to speak. Come on. Like you're just sitting there listening with glazed over eyes waiting for the person's done so you get your... I'm not sure what these Jewish leaders, I don't know what, what all they had going on inside of them, but here's what I know is I don't think they were really hearing. In other words, I don't think they had a humble posture of heart where they were going, God, could it be that you chose from eternity past to come in the form of a Jewish homeless carpenter and you were going to lead your people through him? Okay, so we got a group of religious folks who judge Jesus by human standards. We've got a group of religious people who never consult God. We've got a group of religious people who are listening, but they're failing to hear. And then we've got um, a, a group uh, who Jesus refuses to do what they wanted him to do, so they reject him. Okay, 
let's go there a minute. That's our fourth, fourth point this morning. You got a group of Jewish leaders who, ref, who Jesus refused to do what they wanted him to do, so they rejected him. Okay, so in this day and age, what the Jewish people um, and even the Jewish leaders expected of the Jewish Messiah is that he would come and he'd be like King David. If you've ever read the Old Testament, King David would have rolled in with all his armies and, and whatever, and he would have conquered um, and set the people free. So what these people are looking for in some ways is almost like a warlord that's going to ride in and overthrow who? Rome. So they're being severely oppressed by Rome. I don't think we often think of that when we read the Bible, the New Testament, but in the Gospels, the people are being severely oppressed by Rome. And so what's amazing to me is in this moment, we just read it. Let's go back because um, this is where Jesus said um, in verse 65, he went on to say, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled them. Verse 66, from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. So 15 to some 20,000 people abandoned Jesus right here. And as he's watching these people leave him, he's got hurt and sadness and disappointment, and he's looking at his disciples and he's saying, you do not want to leave too, do you? So uh, again, they expected that Jesus would continue feeding them like he did when he broke the loaves and fish. Um, they expected that Jesus would come like an Old Testament king and overthrow Rome. They expected that Jesus would come with external sort of pomp and significance, and he came the most lowly. And because he didn't take the form that they wanted him to take, what'd they do? Gone. Like, if you hear anything today, hear this, because the essence is, what is the difference between the 15,000 people that left Jesus and the 11 who stayed? The 15,000 people that left Jesus were saying, Jesus, we want to use you for my will. And the 11 who stayed are saying, Jesus, use us for, let's do that again. The 15,000 people who abandoned Jesus on this particular morning were saying, Jesus, we want to use you for my will. And the 11 who stayed are the only ones who are actually saying, God, use us for your will. Similarly, in the Old Testament, we just read it in, in Numbers, but you have the same thing going on here where you have almost 2 million people who are saying, we will follow you if you accomplish my will. And you had two, Caleb and Joshua, who were over here saying, Lord, use us for? Like, guys, you got to get this because the American church, uh, salt box church, um, Christians living today in this day and age are at grave risk because we want Jesus to fit our form, our will, our way. And as long as he is um, savior, redeemer, maybe friend, we're good with it. But to make him Lord is an entirely different thing. And if you actually want to begin to experience the transformative power and the deep, significant, ongoing, intimate relationship with King Jesus, you actually have to begin to get out of this camp where you're going only my will. And you've got to get into this one where you're going, Lord Jesus, use me for your will. Like it is, it is this powerful, decisive shift that happens when someone is willing to take their life and surrender their life and go, Lord Jesus, would you use my life to accomplish your will? And I think what Peter is actually saying here in verse 68, Simon Peter answered him, 
And this is, a, this is a little insulting to me, by the way, when I read it, even in the Greek, because Simon Peter answered him and said, Lord, to who else are we going to go? We have nowhere to go. You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you're the Holy One of God. Can you imagine, though, the faith in those 11 guys at that point when everyone's leaving? Like if Michael says something ugly this morning and everyone stands up and leaves but like two people, are you staying? Like, like go there a second. Like put yourself even fully in this thing because what happens is you have King Jesus who has the entire nation sort of following him. They're all coming out to meet him. They are all going after him, but only if he does it their way. And the moment he begins to say, eat my flesh and drink my blood, which sounds crazy. It's like, what does that even mean? It means to appropriate the life, death, and resurrection power of King Jesus into your life. It means that you exchange your brokenness for his goodness. It means that the life of Jesus is now lived in you and through you. And when he begins to say that, everyone's like, no way, I am out of here. And I think you have in this moment, like Jesus actually so broken. Like, I think in this moment you have Jesus hurt, lonely, and disappointed. And if there's ever a moment in the Gospels where I think Jesus is tempted, is Jesus without sin? Yes. Was he tempted? Yes. If there's ever a moment where he's tempted to give up, it's in this moment. Because he had all these people with him. And man, the crowd feels good and the roar and happiness of everybody feels great. But remember, we just read it last week or the week before that they wanted to come and make him king by force. That's right. So when he refuses to be made king by force, they get angry and leave. And you've got a few who choose to stay. Let me say it like this. You can either attempt to use Jesus for your purposes or you can allow Jesus to use you for his. But you can't do both. I think a lot of times we as Christians, go back to my story, I spent seven years of my life telling myself that I was doing everything right and following God and I was making a big old mess, living in some measure of deception. But there's this powerful place as believers that begins to happen when you begin to go, Lord Jesus, would you use my life for your will and for your way? And I think one of the most probably challenging and yet one of the most powerful and fulfilling things as a believer begins to happen when you can begin to daily abide in his presence, will, and way. Does that make sense? Like practicing, there's an old book called Brother Lawrence called Practicing His Presence. And the whole idea is that in every activity of life, you're giving yourself to him and you're actually practicing and finding his presence, his lordship, his will, and his way. So go back to the Old Testament. We just looked at Numbers. Let's look at it again. Numbers 14. So the men Moses had sent to explore the land, there was 12 people that were sent in. They returned and they made the whole community grumble against him by spreading a bad report about it. These men who were responsible for spreading the bad report about the land were struck down and died of a plague before the Lord. Of the men who went to explore the land, only Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, survived. Now, when we as a church, when we as people take the position of God, use us for your will and way, 
it catches to those around us. You follow me? When we take the position of Jesus, we want to use you for our will and way, guess what? It catches too. So who you are and who we are as, uh, as, as whether it's husbands or wives or single people or friends or workers or wherever you are, the attitude that you have is going to actually catch and spread to the people around you. So in the Old Testament, you have this group of people that comes to the very edge of the promised land. God has so much for them. And they get to this point and they go, no, we're not going to believe you. You're not doing it the way we wanted you to do. And they miss entering into the fullness of what God has for them. You follow me? You've got two who enter in because they say, God, use us for your kingdom, your will, and your way. I think one of the most sobering things of the entire Bible is you have Old Testament where people miss what God called them to. You have New Testament. An entire country almost missed the person of Jesus, the Messiah. I think the question at hand for me and the question at hand for you is how are you walking with him? In other words, are you one of the one who is going, Lord, we'll use you for our purposes? Or are you one of the ones who's going, Lord, would you use me for yours? It's very different. And in that spot where you're going, Lord, would you use me for your purpose, your kingdom, your will, and your way, that is where the power and the presence of Jesus comes. Church, if I could call us to anything, it's that we would not be a group of people who misses uh, either the macro... um, We don't reject God on a macro level, and we don't reject God on a micro level. So we don't miss him and inadvertently die in the wilderness. What the Lord has for you as a believer and for me as a believer on the other side, if we can follow him into the promised land, if we can follow him like the 11, even when it doesn't quite look good or feel good or everyone else is leaving, but what he has for us in the kingdom of God is so good and so powerful both now and in eternity. In other words, there's an eternal reward and destination, but he's also trying to get heaven into us now. You hear me? Jesus, would you use me for your purposes? Worship team, would you guys come back out? I want to I wanna do a couple things as we close here this morning. I want to pray that the Lord would deliver some of us from missing his purpose, his will, and his way. And I want to ask us as a church to at the deepest level we know how to go, Lord Jesus, would you use us for your will? Make sense? Let's close our eyes a second. As eyes are closed, I want to invite our prayer team to come forward. Would you guys just come up and be available up here on next to the stage. Father, I'm convinced that there are things you have in store for this congregation, 
for certain families, for certain people, for mothers, for fathers, for men, for women, for kids, for young people, college students, high school students, middle school students. Lord, I'm convinced that you have more for us than what we can currently see. And Father, I pray that in this journey of life and in this journey where we're attempting to find you, Lord Jesus, that you would graciously hem us in and we would not be a people that harden our hearts, that we would not be a people who demand that you serve us, but rather we'd be a people who come and say, we're here to serve you. closing song together, I want to invite you to stand with me. I also want to invite any of you who want special prayer to come down and grab one of these people to pray with you. you're here and you'd go, man, I've never given my life fully to Jesus. I'm going to step right here. I'd love to pray with you. Matt will be right next to me. Come and pray with us. But if you need special prayer, come on down. Come talk to one of these people. These are all trusted people. Let's worship the Lord together in maybe a new level. Let's, as a church, say, Lord Jesus, use us for your will and way. And let's leave behind our demands that he would serve us. Church, this is the God that has sought through heaven and hell and earth to find you and to bring you home. This is the God that if you'll turn your heart towards him, he will plant hope and peace and joy and a future and purpose inside your heart. This is the God that has a calling and a purpose on your life. Father, I pray over this church, over this place, that every family and every marriage and every single person in this house would come to the place where we go, Lord Jesus, your kingdom, your will, and your way be done in my life. And Father, I pray that you would take a few motley people like you did with these 11 disciples and that you would use them to shift a city or cities, that you'd use them to shift the nations of the earth. Lord, I pray that as a few people put their faith in you and choose to trust you in the day-by-day decisions that, Lord Jesus, you would change our lives. Father, would you make us a group of people who hear and respond to your voice? Father, I pray that you would touch us as a church, as a group of individuals. And I pray, Lord, that we would respond and follow after you. Lord, we love you. We praise you for this Mother's Day. Lord, we praise you for life. We praise you for your love. We praise you for your faithfulness. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.